So I grew up really paralyzed around being man, which in my case looked like just defaulting to the nice guy. Um, you know, weak, kind of just you know, conflict avoidant. Uh, oh man. But the thing is, I'm not a fucking nice guy in my core. And I believe every man, every man has a killer inside of him, but we're, and, and, and we're afraid of that killer because again, what that usually looks like expressed through a man is the dominating tyrant bully type. Welcome back to another episode of Dear Men. I am very happy to have my friend Brian with me. Uh, it's been a long time since we've met and I've wanted him on the podcast for a while. So this is a very exciting moment. Um, and part of the reason I wanted to have you on, Brian, is because I think your story is really interesting in terms of going from, you know, the kind of home you grew up in to the military to personal growth leader. And I think there's a lot of sort of lessons in there around um, culture and sort of transcending toxic masculinity in, in our culture and becoming something beyond that um, because that's not an easy journey. It's really not. And I'm thrilled to have you talking about it because um, I think it might inspire others. So yeah. I would like to just hear you know, how you ended up in the military in the mm. first place <laughs> and then how, <laughs> and then sort of what you learned and why you left. So maybe we could start there. I know that's sure. Yeah. What's up? Well, it's nice to see you, Melanie. It's been a minute. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, oh boy. I mean, you've already said so many things. Uh, well, let's just start with how I ended up in the military. I saw the movie Top Gun when I was, I don't know, 12, 13 years old. That movie the, the hook marks, you can still see the scars inside of my mouth from uh, the that movie getting me into the military. So I wanted to fly jets, uh, you know, and play beach volleyball with sweaty, shirtless men, I suppose, and, and make out with Kelly McGillis. None of those things happened. None of them. And... Uh, but I did end up in the military. I was actually colorblind, so I couldn't fly, which was uh, kind of a blessing in disguise that I did would not really understand for many, 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 many years. You know, the, the, uh, what is it? The, what is, was that Garth Brooks song, song about unanswered prayers? Um, yeah. So <clears throat> anyway, yeah. So I ended up in the military, uh, from the ages of 17 to 26 years old. And when I got out of the military, I, I couldn't feel a damn thing. I couldn't, uh, I, not only could I not cry, which is pretty normal for boys of my generation, but I also couldn't really laugh. Like I just really couldn't feel joy. I couldn't definitely couldn't feel sadness. I couldn't feel joy. I could be angry and I could be horny, but that's it. Really nothing, nothing, nothing. And I could feel just numb. 
Uh, and in fact, I think if anything, horniness, being horny, sex, masturbation, those were great ways to just feel alive quickly. But, you know, that, that as my only recourse to feeling something was not a very healthy way to approach, you know, my body, uh, relationships with women, um, even just sex itself. It's just not a good way to do sex, you know, using that to just feel something. So, uh, you know, that was basically, you know, in a quick nutshell, my journey through the military. And I, I was in the air force. I don't think I said that to people. Uh, I didn't clarify that I was in the air force. I I would leave the air force at 26 years old as a captain, um, you know, succeeded at my job, succeeded at what I was asked to do, but miserable the whole while and very disconnected from myself. And then from that place, I tried to do intimate relationships with women and, you know, disaster, absolute disaster. So yeah, you know, and you, you said something about in your, in your setup to this, you said something about going beyond uh, so-called toxic masculinity, growing beyond that. And I think, you know, the thing that just arises for me aside of that, uh, first off, I'm not a big fan of the word toxic masculinity. I understand it. Um, I, I, what I, I, I think the way that mass, the way that I like to speak to it is that th- sure, the, the way our immature masculinity, our shadow masculinity is expressed, creates a, an extremely toxic environment. Um, and I think, you know, the great, the great tragedy of certainly of men, my age, and I think even still men of a younger age, I think just our entire generate the generations of men that are alive today, we don't have elders, wise elders showing us into a mature manhood. So, you know, we're, we're kind of, we're left to find our own way. And so we're, and we're learning from other immature adolescent men. It's like, you know, what alternatives do we have? But so anyway, anyways, a lot more I could say that, but I just want to want to pause there and let you jump back in. Yeah, I think the the um, the part that's interesting to me about, for example, your military journey is 17 is really young. That's a very, very mm-hmm. formative time. You know, you you yeah. there's a way that you really learned about yeah. manhood in the military. 17 to 26, because you're still a teenager, 17, 18, 19. And you spent three years of your teenagehood in the military. And I think if there's a sort of classic archetype of men don't get to feel anything, right. It's Mm -hmm. the military, right. It's sort of, it's the, it's the perfect kernel of our culture's uh, representation of this is what it means to be a man, or this is what it means to be a strong man or you know, ideal or, you know, Top Gun, you know, I think is a good example of a movie that, yeah, it sort of glorifies the military and glorifies, you know, being a hero and sort of, I don't know, it's, it, it doesn't surprise me that that was a reason that you wanted to go into the military. I could see if I were a boy being like, I want to do that. I want to be that. I want to be, be the, the hero, right. I want to sort of be involved in that. And, you know, I think it's so poignant what you said of on the outside, you succeeded, right? You ended up as a captain and um, had 
all of these accolades and yeah. everything, you were miserable inside. And that is the part that feels so sad to me about the way we've sort of boxed men in, in our culture. Yeah. And I really appreciate what you said about role models. And I'm, I'm just, you know, wondering, you know, were the role models that you had in the military, would you say similar to the, to those in your family system? Were they different? And do you feel like that affected how you, how you learned to be a man? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think I like to use the, the, there's a, there's a, a, a book. Some, some men listening to this may have heard of this book. And if you haven't, I highly recommend it. Uh, King warrior, magician, lover. We talk about the four primary masculine archetypes and you know, the military is all warrior all the time. Um, and, and I would say even sh- sh- a lot of shadow warrior, um, energy in the military. It's completely unbalanced. There's, there's no lover allowed in the military. You know, the, you, you look, you can see this in pop culture a lot. You know, the, the, the show game of Thrones, there were men tasked at the, let's see, what was it the knights or the men, uh, the knights watch the men who were at the Northern border guarding, you know, protecting all humanity from the chaos outside of the, of the wall, the, the, the ice wall at the Northern realm, they had a saying, love is the death of duty. Love is the death of duty. You know, that is the warrior's creed. Love is the death of duty. Like don't feel anything. Don't feel you're not allowed to love because if you love, you will fail at your mission is the ultimate, uh, kind of warriors just in a vacuum credo. And so, you know, and on top of that, and I, I, I bet a lot of men can relate to what I'm going to say next, but I, growing up, I had essentially two models of manhood to choose from. As I looked into pop culture, as I looked into, you know, our political leadership, as I, as I looked at my own fathers, um, and uncles, uh, model a was hyper aggressive, dominating, uh, you know, uh, using fear to, uh, to conquer, to overcome, to, to rule over, you know, that version of manhood. And then there was another model B, which is weak, impotent, nice guy, people pleaser, you know, playing it safe. Like I had those two models of manhood growing up. Neither one of those spoke to me on a deep level. I didn't want to be the aggressive bully tyrant, but I also didn't want to be the weak, impotent, you know, the loser, nice guy. But those were basically the two models that I had. And so I grew up really paralyzed around being man, which in my case looked like just defaulting to the nice guy. Um, you know, weak kind of just conflict avoidant. Uh, oh man. But the thing is, I'm not a fucking nice guy in my core. And I believe every man, every man has a killer inside of him, but we're, and, and, and we're afraid of that killer because again, what that usually looks like expressed through a man is the dominating tyrant bully type. So again, I think so many of us are caught between these two uh, 
models, versions of manhood. And on some deep level, we know that it just, just can't be, it can't be this or that. And, and, you know, my journey in the last 20 years, since I did get out of the military for just, I mean, you know, we could talk about that more, but, but ultimately it was, it was really, it's been learning how to reconcile that killer in me, the warrior in me with the lover in me, with the, the passionate connected to my desire, connected to my heart, uh, lover who also, by the way, knows how to use a sword and can cut the head off of bullshit, uh, including my own, especially my own, just, just to be clear. Um, and, you know, can really be a stand for, for integrity and truth, but not at the cost of love. Yeah, I love that. And I appreciate the, the clarification around, it's not that we don't need warriors or that we don't need the warrior energy. It's yeah. just that it's so imbalanced that it becomes sort of poisonous to the, to the holder of that. I would imagine, I mean, if you tell someone they can't feel you're stripping away a part of their humanity. And mm -hmm. I feel like that is the sort of archetype that we as a culture have for yeah. men. Like you're not allowed to feel if you feel you're a pussy, yeah. right there, that, that, that men are shamed starting pretty young. If you look at the research right around 11 or 12 is when when you look at the research, boys stop using connecting mm -hmm. language. They stop holding hands with each other. They stop really being able to be human, full human beings <clears throat> if they want to be respected, if they want to be seen as men, if they want to be, yeah, seen a certain way. And that's really isolating. It's really isolating and lonely. And I feel like that leads to a lot of other problems in the future. And the the point that you made about, you know, take it, taking 20 years or taking a certain number of <laughs> decades to kind of unwind that. I think that's really true. And it's qu actually quite brave to do because it wasn't something that you had to do. It's something that you chose to do. And it sounds to me like part of the impetus for that was, you know, you mentioned, um, I tried to do intimate relationships with women from that place. Mm. Getting out yeah. of the military, and it was a disaster. Yeah. And I'm wondering if you can, can you uh, sort of elucidate what you mean by disaster in that sense? Because yeah. there's so much great passion behind that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, and and the, the 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 tragic irony is, I had great intentions. I always wanted the best for for my partners, for myself. Like again, you know, I've been I've been working with couples for the last eight years or so as uh, coaching couples, and 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 it's really helped me understand that old saying: "The road to hell is paved with good intentions." Because every couple I ever work with has everyone's always had the best of intentions, and yet hell gets created. Because two people don't understand what the hell is really going on, what, what, what the other person wants from them, et cetera. And, and this was me. I mean, I had great intentions, but I had no idea what was actually going on, what my partners really wanted from me. I also had no idea how my emotional disconnect was being projected onto my partner. And it, it kind of, it's like this, look, if I can't feel my feelings, well, there's no fucking way I'm going to let you feel your feelings. 
that's not the conscious thing I'm saying, but it's the ultimately what is happening through me. I don't feel safe to feel. And on, on top of um, all these stories, you know, feelings are weakness. Emotions aren't real. They just get in the way of the outcome that I want. You know, no pain, no gain, things like this. And naturally, I'm going to project that onto my partners who I always chose women who could feel a lot of things. And of course I did, because if I can't feel anything, why the fuck would I want to be with someone else who can't feel anything? <laughs> well, that's no fun. I am going to be drawn to women who feel a lot because I'm I'm seeking that healing. Unconsciously, I'm seeking in a way, you know, to heal my own disconnect by the partners that I choose. But because of my disconnect, if I'm not doing that work on myself, I will reject that in my partners as well. That's the dilemma that so many of us put ourselves in. We seek, we seek, we're, we're unconsciously seeking healing through the partners we choose, but then we're rejecting the very thing we seek in them because we're still rejecting it in ourselves. And that's what I did for, you know, 10 years after the military. And you know, I wouldn't really say I chose to do this work. I, I had no fucking choice. If I wanted to not suck at relationships for the rest of my life and not just have more disaster after more disaster, I mean, yes, on some level I chose it because there are plenty of men and women for that matter who never choose it, who who for decades just keep winging it or 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 settle into cynicism. You know, women are impossible. Relation, you just you, you, marriage is a bullshit. You, you know, relationships are too hard. They sh they're so stupid. Women don't know. You know, blah blah blah. Or I'm an idiot. Whatever it is, I refuse to settle into cynicism. I'm not a cynical person. I resist cynicism. I don't think it serves. And so, as at 36 years old, I'm just sort of looking at the last 10 years of my life. Well, longer really, even into the military, the relationship I had in the military, and and I'm I'm, I'm asking myself. Why are there just a string of angry women in my past? Like I've had great intentions. Why the hell did they always get so angry at me? What what was I not understanding? What, what you know what 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 should I have known that nobody taught me? And just asking those questions began. You know, it's like they say when the when this when the student is ready, the teacher appears, and I was ready because I was asking these questions. I was finally really deeply ready to stop blaming everyone else for why my relationship sucked and, and to just take some ownership and, and then teachers appeared and you know that I'm, I'm 47 now. So that, that began 11 years ago. And I, I just threw myself into, uh, learning same, like, you know, the, the, the big, the biggest kind of initial gateway for me into understanding what I hadn't understood for so long was, was the 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 map of masculine and feminine intimacy. I'd heard these terms masculinity, femininity, but I didn't really understand them and I didn't really give them any any attention throughout most of my life. But then someone put a book in my hand, David Data's Way of the Superior Man, and holy shit, that changed everything for me. Yeah, it changed everything for me. It started I started to see not just relationships, but the entire world through this 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 map of of duality of of these these two different kind of values and expressions of being that did definitely showed up in my intimate relationships. 
and I started to see how I was imposing masculine values on a feminine, a more, on my more feminine valued partners. And I'll, and I'll explain what I mean by that. And we'll even come back to, you know, Top Gun. What did Top Gun, you know, flying, flying jets, it was the, for me, it was like the ultimate embodiment of freedom. I'm even unbound by gravity. I can fly. I can be in a jet and go fast. And and in saving in saving my country from an aggressor, I'm freeing us from tyranny. Like this word freedom, like that's a masculine value. And, and I, I believed that that was the only value. Like ultimately, even my spirituality, Melanie, was all about being free of attachment, being free of any, you know, the, con- the, con- the confines, the limitations of the mind, the, of the body, et cetera. I had no idea that I was living like – 50% of the human experience and, and, and believing that was a hundred percent of it. <laughs> no wonder my partners were so pissed off all the time because I was completely denying, you know, their predominant experience. No fucking wonder there were so many angry women in my past. I had no zero understanding of the feminine value of connection and how that value, um, shows up in intimacy and, and how when I'm not caring for it, when I'm not tending to what connection means, when I'm when I'm imposing freedom all over the connection value, it's like a big fuck you to to the feminine value. I had no idea. So just that alone was revolutionary for my brain and 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 even today, you know, the predominant amount of my work with couples, when I work with couples, is it's about restoring that imbalance, about about helping couples, uh, in many cases, create for the first time ever connection between them. And I had no idea that that's what I was overlooking for the first you know decades of my life. Yeah, can you say a little more about that in terms of connection and and how you were overlooking it? Because I've heard, for yeah. example, from some men like. I, I provide all these things. I don't understand totally. why I'm not happy with yeah. what you know, I provide all these things. I, I literally, I, I can't conceive of what else you want from me. I don't get it because, yeah. you know, is that, let's say, because that man has never had true emotional intimacy of, I share myself with you. You share yourself with me. There's closeness here. There's intimacy. Is it because he's never experienced that? So it's sort of anathema. It's like, I don't know what you're talking about. Or is there another reason yeah. or what's your take on yeah. that. Well, yeah, it's a fun thing to talk about because it really exposes the differences between us and, and, you know, in our innocence, the, the innocence in our ignorance. Um, years ago, my, one of my close friends was having marital problems and, and he was, uh, uh, in the living room with his wife and they're, they're talking about their relationship. And, and she says to him, you know, I just don't feel connected to you. He looks around, you know, he's like, well, in his mind, he's like, well, I'm, I'm in the same room. We're sitting on the couch. We're having a conversation about our relationship. What the fuck are you talking about? You don't feel connected to me. It's exactly what you just said, Melanie. Like, what the fuck are you talking about? And so it's a fair, you know, what, 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 and I suffer from the same, uh, I don't know. 
it, it kind of sounds like this. If, if, if my, if nobody's bleeding, if my wife's not bleeding, if the house isn't on fire, if no bones are broken, if we don't have to call the cops, if we're not being hunted by tigers, if, you know, we have food on the table, like what's the problem? We have no problems here. What are you upset about? <laughs> I'm not cheating on you. You know, I'm not beating you. I'm not abusing you. I'm not all of these, you know, it's like for, to the, to, to, to the male mind and, and women, some women fall into this category too. It's not exclusively a male thing, but to that way of thinking, if, if, if there's nothing tangibly constraining our lives in ways that don't feel good, then what the fuck we don't have any problems and therefore you should just be happy and thrilled. That's kind of how that sounds. <laughs> Whereas, but that's again, complete masculine value at play there. Look, if we're free from the problems that are obvious to me, and by the way, emotional problems are not real. There's the logic of, you know, if you're having bad emotions, well, that's not my problem. I, you know, no pain, no gain. I was taught, you know, on the, on the, when you're on the football field or in the boardroom, uh, feelings are irrelevant. Fucking get in there, you know, throw the touchdown pass. Even if you get pummeled, it doesn't matter. We, we got to win this game. We need the outcome. Anyway, on and on and on and on. Meanwhile, on my partner's side, you know, sure, she has the resources. She has all of the you know, so-called tangible things. Sure. Okay. She's not bleeding, but also she doesn't feel my, she doesn't feel my attention. She doesn't feel my, my presence. She can feel that actually my mind is preoccupied with my work problems with, I don't know, a million other things that, that are, uh, just, it, it could TV. It could be again, TV work. It could be, uh, I don't know, just, you know, men, we tend to connect shoulder to shoulder by which I mean, we're, you know, shoulder to shoulder with each other, looking out into the world. We're, we're accomplishing things together. We're doing things together. We're hunting together. We're playing sports together. We're talking about politics together. We're, we're just outward facing. Whereas, whereas women, it, again, nothing's nothing is one hundred percent applies to everybody, but women the, the feminine wants to connect face to face, eyeball to eyeball, staring into each other's eyes. When we're not doing that, she's going to feel like, "Where the fuck are you? You're looking out into the world, but what about me?" Hmm. So you know, this is I'm sort of you know we're just dancing on the very tip of the iceberg, Melanie, and I'm sure you could say a lot about the 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 the, the female feminine experience uh, aspect of this. Um, but this is, this is the big gap, uh, between us that arises so often that we're, we're talking about, um, this connection gap that, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm just laughing because I remember, um, a similar story I was told by someone I'm close to, uh, I'm close to both partners, but I was talking to the wife. They've been married for like 25 years and went to couples counseling and he just could not understand what was wrong. He just, it was beyond him. And they were sitting on the couch and they were sitting on opposite sides of the couch and the therapist was in front of them. And she was on one side of the couch, kind of curled into a ball crying. And he was sitting on the exact opposite side of the couch, you know, gesticulating to the therapist, like there's yeah. nothing wrong. And the therapist 
<laughs> looks at her and looks at him and says, I want you to just take a look at your wife. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And tell me that there's something wrong. Yeah. Right. And because to him, it was all the things That's you right. described. That's right. And to her, it was, yeah. I feel missed. Yeah. I feel missed. And I want more closeness with you. And I can't feel your heart yeah. a lot of the time. A lot. Sometimes I can. Occasionally I can during sex. Occasionally I can during special moments. But most of the time I can't. And there's a big guard there. There's it's guarded. It's guarded. It's gated. It's locked. It's there's literally sometimes uh, physical. (laughs) You can see kind of men's chests come in and there's just a lot of guarding around their Mm. heart, which I do think has to do with growing up and surviving in a culture that says, if you feel you're less of a man. And so there's all this armor that gets put up. And I'm curious in your experience, was that part of your journey? Was it part of your journey to kind of, you know, get rid of some of that armor or maybe get rid of is the wrong word, but what was your experience in terms of learning to connect with the feminine, including your heart? Because you had that with yourself first, I would imagine, in order to do it with others. Well, it's an interesting word you use there. And in fact, I specifically chose not to use that word when I said, when I was sort of illustrating her experience over there saying, I can't feel your, I was going to say your heart, but I realized most men have no fucking idea what you're talking about when you say, I can't feel your heart. In fact, for a lot of men, that can be really infuriating. It's like, what the fuck are you talking about? Again, I'm fucking here to see anger. Anger is a quick, men can really, we can, you know, we feel powerful in anger. We feel righteous in anger. It's an elevating emotion that, that, that we can express. It's a go-to emotion out of our, when we've, in that sort of weak, impotent lover archetype, when we feel bullied enough or we feel overlooked enough or we've we've denied ourselves enough, we slam into the warrior archetype and the warrior's like, fuck you, what the fuck you talking about? That's the, you know, all kind of shadow tyrant. Now we become the tyrant. And this is what a lot of men are bouncing back and forth between. And so um, even this description of, I can't feel your heart. So I avoided that. I said, I can't feel your attention. I can't feel your emotional, I don't, I can't remember exactly the words I used, but I avoided that word, but that, but that's a, that's a good word. It's an important word. What does it mean to feel your heart? What does that mean? And I think this is something that we men have to spend time unlocking for ourselves. What does it mean for us to reveal our heart, to show our heart? And you, you, you said something beautiful. I love how even acknowledging like, you know, our, our, our bodies can reveal our closure, our tension, our faces can show, you know, indifference, just numbness. Our bodies can be caved in. Our nervous systems can be tight, can be. And so part of that practice is definitely coming back into the body, learning how to breathe, learning how to relax our nervous systems so that because our our nervous systems are communicating whether we're in stress or whether we're in whether we're you know when we're in stress we're closed we're getting ready for you know fight or flight do i have to put up my dukes or get the fuck out of here whereas and and if and if i'm in that mode my partner's not going to she's not she's not going to feel safe with me cuz she's likewise going to 
experience. Oh, he's in, he's again, it's not conscious. It's very subconscious. It's the lizard brain checking in to see like, what's going on right now? Am I safe? Am I not safe? Am I safe? Am I not safe? Oh, he doesn't feel safe. And that must mean I'm not safe. What's he going to do? Is he going to punch me in the face or is he going to run away? Either way, I'm not safe. So for him to, that's just one aspect of, of, of coming, kind of coming into our bodies, connecting to our heart is, ah, so there's a breathe, there's breathing, just a deep breath can, you know, I, I would do this before, you know, what, one of the things that I would do in my body when an argue, when I would begin a disagreement with a partner is I would cross my arms, you know, cross my arms. Like I'm, I'm guarding my body. I'm pissed. I'm angry and I'm protecting. That's what you know, cross my arms. So protection, protecting my chest. And when I was aware of that, so I'm close, I'm literally, my phys- my physiology is showing closure. My partner's seeing it. I'm not open to her. So of course she's going to feel disconnected. I'm closed physically, visually. So one of the things that I would start to do is as soon as I noticed it, and also my body would be turned slightly away from her. So not only am I close to her, I'm not even facing her fully. That's again my body. It's one way my body would show that I'm in stress. I'm I'm either I'm either fighting or flighting right now or freezing, right? So I would drop my arms, I would uncross my arms, drop them on my side and take a deep breath and then just face her and soften soften my body and and stop talking, just listen. Just be present. Even if I can't really hear what she's saying, just that little bit of starting to unfold my body and breathe and face her. I'm communicating now to her that I'm here. I'm with you. I'm not running. I'm not going to fight you and I'm not going to run away. Just that little bit could help my partner unconsciously again, see, okay, all right, he's here with me. He's not running and he's not going to hurt me physically. He's not going to leave me. You know, just if I can just hold on for a little while (laughs) and not open my mouth and say something stupid, (laughs) which, you know, I, you know, some days are better than others. (laughs) Well, that's, that's, I'm curious, you know, as you were going through your, your growth journey, you you know, you mentioned the teacher appeared and I would imagine that you had a number of mentors and, um, this part of learning how to relax and, and at least be present in the face of conflict. This is one of the hardest parts of relationship. I mean, what you're describing is this is the dojo because when things are going well, when we're having great sex and the connection is good, it's not needed. You don't need the, the skills, but when you're triggered or when, your partner's triggered, all that stuff applies. And I'm, I'm wondering, you know, as you were going through your personal growth journey, were you mostly single at that time? Did you, were you in and out of relationships as well? And how did that work in terms of you noticing, wow, the stuff that I'm doing is working the workshops, the, the, the mentorship, the books that I'm reading, I'm learning how to become different in my body. And it is impacting. I can see how this (laughs) relationship is now different than the one before. What was that like? Great question. Yeah. Uh, So I was, I was, I was, I was, you know, officially single for about six years before I met my wife, uh, Sylvie, six years ago. 
And, but I was also dating a lot. I would have maybe, you know, mini relationships that would last a couple months at most. Um, but by and large, I was single and studying and practicing and going to workshops. And yeah, it was like, even, even, you know, I, I would go on a date with someone I dated a lot during this time, but I would date going just one date. Even if I, I knew immediately that I would, that this was going nowhere, you know, the minute I, I would be in someone's presence, I'd be like, Oh yeah, no, this is a no. Well, that wasn't an excuse at that moment. And then just go back into my old ways, shut my heart, walk away, you know, be a, just be cold and indifferent and fuck that. No, I was like, this is an opportunity to practice. I'm going to be present. I'm going to breathe. I'm going to be attentive. I'm going to be generous. Uh, I am going to, you know, walk on the street side of the sidewalk with this woman. I'm going to, you know, pay the bill, not because a man pays the bill, but because a, 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 you know, because a, a masculine practice is to, is to, is to create structure for, for my partner to relax. And paying a bill is an act of creating structure. You don't, she doesn't have to worry about it. I got this. It was just a practice. It's not an, I don't believe that men just pay the bill all the time. That's not the point of it. It was just, it was practice for me to really step into, I call it masculine practice. So I was practicing constantly while I was single and, you know, failing often, but practicing all the same. And, you know, that, that commitment to practice, um, and yes, many, many teachers, you know, learning how important my nervous system was, how important, how I hold my body. You know, I did feminine practice also, you know, the ecstatic dance, learning how to really be in my emotional experience. Um, you know, even, even working with plant medicines and things like this, that really helped connect me to my emotions. So that, that the, when the day came that I was sitting in front of the woman who would be my wife, not that I knew it in that moment, but the day that, that, that I was sitting in front of this just extraordinary, gorgeous, deep and deeply emotional woman sitting in front of her, I was neither intimidated, uh, nor checked out. I was fully present. I was all in. I was having a great time connected to myself and love with my life able to be present with her, able to be attentive to her, able and, and, you know, willing for her rejection also, you know, I wasn't afraid of being rejected by her, but nor was I in that sort of, I was just really well balanced. I could say in the, in the warrior and the lover, I was very practiced in both of these archetypes. I was familiar with my, my capacity for masculine presence. I was practiced and practicing that, but I was also embracing of, of, of all the feminine uh, energy in the room with her. I wasn't rejecting of her femininity. I wasn't because I wasn't rejecting of mine. So, you know, the day, so that, that, that really set me up all those years of practice set me up for that encounter with her. And then of course, Melanie, the real fucking work began. <laughs> yeah, I love, I love everything you said. And something I particularly respect is you said, I practiced all the time. I failed a lot, kept practicing, you know, just that little acknowledgement. Um, it, it, 
it makes it obvious that you're not fully identified with, I have to succeed all the time or mm-hmm. I'm less of a man. Yeah. It's like, I'm practicing. I'm practicing every day. Oh, sometimes yeah. I make it. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes I do well. Sometimes oh, yeah. I fuck it up. And there's something really, um, I think that's a, a sign of balance of <clears throat> I can fail at something and not be a failure. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the part that doesn't feel great about the way we train quote unquote train masculinity in our culture yeah. is there's, it feels like to me, there's no room for failure in that, in that model, in that model yeah. of the immature masculine being in charge. Like there's no room for that rather than we all make yeah. mistakes. It's okay. Well, it doesn't make you less of a person or less of a man. It's just part of life. And it feels like you, yeah, you, you, you were leaning into that and yeah. that might've been part of what, attracted your partner to you. Surely. And what you're saying is it's, it's taught more and more in the entrepreneurial world, in the tech world, fail fast and fail often, but that's done in the service of productivity. That's done in the service of making money, of having a successful outcome again. And the problem is we don't know how to map that onto intimate relationships because we don't really even understand what a successful relationship looks like. Um, we don't understand again, it's the realm of connection and connection has nothing to do with productivity. It has nothing to do with, you know, achieving a certain outcome of wealth or subscribers or, you know, I mean, there's a lot of, there's, I suppose there's couples on, uh, Instagram these days that, you know, are broadcasting everything and maybe they're measuring the success of their relationship by how many subscribers they have. Well, I, I guarantee fucking you, if they're doing that, their, their actual relationship is shit. It's a lie. It's a falsity. It's bullshit (laughs) because that is the best way to fuck up your relationship, to tie it to some external outcome that needs to be achieved. You know, Sylvie and I, we tried to work together and we, we have some overlap in our work. I mean, she's a, she's, she's been a marriage and family therapist for years, focusing more on relationship coaching. I've been a relationship coach for many years. It makes sense that we would work together. Let me tell you, Melanie, that also is really, really hard for us. And it doesn't go, it's, Look, we, I think we create magic together, but let me tell you, the process of getting there is a nightmare for both of us, you know? So we, we minimize our working together as much as possible because it's a, just such a different container. The productivity work container is such a different experience, has different rules than, than the intimate relationship connection container. Yeah. Part of what I like about that is witnessing your relationship as an experiment and trying different things yeah. and saying, Oh, wow, this is, um, this is bad. This is bad news. This just feels really uncomfortable. Yeah. You know, we're both kind of unhappy. Yeah. Let's yeah. try something else. Maybe let's try not yeah. working together. Yeah. And, yeah. Goes. and yeah, instead right. of holding it as, Oh, well, we must be doing something wrong. Yeah. It's more of let's find what works for both of us and our systems and the way that we operate because it's not going to be the same for everyone. I've talked to couples, yeah. I've talked to multiple couples like that where <clears throat> they've tried to work together and it's mm. been like, it just kills the polarity in yeah. their relationship and it's really hard for them to, to make that work and they want to prioritize the polarity. Like I want a hot, sexy, fun, dynamic relationship with you. I don't need to work with you, yeah. right? Like if that part isn't a necessary versus, yeah. you know, this is part of why we're together is the connection. And the fire and the the love. Yeah, and if yeah. that's compromised by this, then let's experiment some other way. It doesn't yeah. have to look like this. So <clears throat> I do I do want to go back to you though. So you're six years into your 
personal development journey, you meet Sylvie mm-hmm. yep. and, um, and then you said, and then the real work begins. I, I'm very curious about this because I do think there's a sort of point in you know, personal growth path where you're like, Oh, I've got this. You know, mm-hmm. I feel really confident. Oh, yeah. So great. I feel like I've, you know, cleared yeah. lots of ancestral trauma and I'm, you know, I'm <clears throat> really balanced and shit. And then you meet someone and you're in a relationship and all of a sudden old patterns come back yeah. and you know, all this stuff. So what was your experience being in that? Yeah. And how did that go moving forward? Yeah. Well, and just to be clear, I was, I wasn't just six years into my personal growth journey when I met her, I was 16 years into that journey. I was six years into specifically relationship growth and understanding and study, but I'd been doing personal growth, spiritual practice for, you know, a decade before for most of my life. But again, I was, it was all masculine practice. It was all, you know, the, the meditation where just sit still and don't move and quiet your thoughts. That's all masculine practice. That's what I was so steeped in. And, but then for six years, sure. Now I'm, now I'm opening up to the feminine aspect of things and, and, and diving into that world and seeing the relationship between these two and, and yeah, you know, six years in. So, okay. I meet Sylvie. And by the way, at this time, I am a world renowned relationship blogger and coach. I'm already working with couples. I've had, you know, blogs read by tens of millions of people around the world already. Like I'm the guy you know, who knows how to do relationship. So (laughs) yeah, it's a good setup, right? So, (laughs) and I know I'm the guy, I'm the shit. Melanie is what I'm telling you. I'm not, I'm the shit. I know how to do this. I fucking got this. I know I've written all the, that was even one of my blogs. I got this. The sexiest three words in magazine was I got this and you better, I've gotten this all over the place with her. And four months in, I had a wall, I had a fucking wall. Like, I don't know if I can get this is sort of how it came up for me. <laughs> like, I don't know if I can, oh shit, I don't know if I can do this. And by the way, I'm not in my 30s or 20s. I'm in my 40s by now. I met her at 41 years old. And man, like all of all of my knowledge and all of the all of the stuff that I could do as a single man and Oh damn, like now I'm in the presence of an actual human being who who has sensitivities, who has who has stuff she's bringing into the to the dynamic and it's clashing up with my stuff and now, you know, and and, and also at the time we were working with a coach who was not helpful and who was actually unethical, a coach who who had no training, who who was not doing her own work. It's a long story that I don't want to get into here, but it was a coach who who had no humility in her own work, who believed herself a master, like who had all this shit figured out. Same. <clears throat> huge red flag, huge, huge, huge red flag. I would never work with someone again who, and it was, it was really helpful for me as a coach too, to again, temper my own, you know, <laughs> belief in my own myth. Um, so anyway, we didn't have good help and support and yeah, four months in, maybe five months in, she silly broke up with me because I was just running into a wall. The, the, I didn't know how to be with, with certain traumas and anxieties that, 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 that were, uh, that she had experienced that were now coming up for us. Our coach that we were working with wasn't, did, had no idea, was not helpful. Um, um, and 
And so I, I just look, I wouldn't have left the relationship because I'm a bit of a fanatic, you know, I'll ride that Titanic down to the bottom of the ocean. Uh, it's a, it's a, it's a, you know, it's, it's one of my greatest, you know, my loyalty is a, is both a great gift and also a curse. Um, uh, but Sylvie wasn't having it and, you know, she could feel my closure really in the, what it, you know, to put it simply though, despite whatever the circumstances, she could feel my closure. She felt me closing in my fear, in my, oh shit, I don't know if I can do this. I'm scared. <gasps> and my closure, she felt that. And it was terrifying to her. And um, she ended the relationship. And the next three weeks of our separation shattered me. It, talk about armor shattering. The experience of losing <clears throat> the woman that I just knew it's like, yeah, my brain was running into stuff, old wounds and traumas and fears and what was coming up. And that's normal. You know, every couple, if you're being honest with yourselves and each other, your honeymoon is over in about two to four weeks. <laughs> that's all you get. If you're honest with yourselves and each other, cause shit's going to come up boundaries. You have different boundaries. You have different sensitivities. You have different, Again, you know, just different values. One of you is going to be more freedom oriented. One of you is going to be more connection oriented, probably. That shit's going to clash. And as it did with us. And, and so in those, but I knew like in my bones, I knew this was the woman that, that I'd been waiting forever for. But my brain just hadn't quite caught up with that yet. And so thus my closure. Um, in those three weeks when we were apart, man, I was, it shattered me. It just, oh, it cracked me so open. And, you know, I, I often, I often, I never give anyone advice, but I often presence for couples and for women, especially that sometimes the best thing they can ever do for a man is leave him. Not as an act of punishment, not to get him to figure something out. That, that, that never works. That's not helpful. But as an act of radical self-care, in the presence of a man whose heart she can't feel, it doesn't feel good. And, and it doesn't serve her to stay if he isn't you know, figuring out how to open. And again, it's, not, it's never so black and white and so simple as this. The reality is Sylvie did end the relationship had we had better support, I don't think she would have done that. And we would have worked through it in a different way, but she did. That's what happened. And in that happening, you know, I, I, despite all my success, despite my, you know, the praise that was still pouring in from around the world about how my blogs and videos were helping people and, you know, all of that, none of that fucking mattered. Melanie, it didn't matter when Sylvia into that relationship, none of that mattered. I felt so empty. It all felt so meaningless. It's like, without love, what's the point of any of this? And that shattered me open in a way that helped me when we got back together a few weeks later through some just magic of serendipity and her feeling my openness again, her feeling there was a shift in me in those few weeks. And she felt that. 
And that allowed her, that helped her feel safe with me and that helped her open. And, you know, she, she says something to me to this day that kind of annoys me, but I kind of get it. She says, uh, you know, Brian, that, that day, like when we, we got back together after we broke up, she said, that was, that's one of the moments I felt most loved by you in our entire relationship. And I get it. It's a little bit annoying to me because, you know, I'm like, babe, I'm doing the best I can. <laughs> but I also get it. I was like so connected to the reality that I could lose her at any moment and not having her is the worst thing that I could experience. I was so alive for me in that moment that all I, all I wanted to do was pour love into her and be vulnerable with her and be present with her. And, and she, you know, she's never felt it so strong as in that moment or when I've in the moments where I take mushrooms and she feels me, you know, so in my heart, so in my body that I am just so present with her in a way that, you know, my regular sort of conscious mind really struggles even still to this day. It's still not an easy thing for me to, to activate. Yeah. I am. That's actually really interesting that, that last part, because I think that the, the medicines, including mushrooms or ayahuasca that <clears throat> have been used for thousands of years um, can actually bypass some of the static of our conscious minds yeah. and can help connect us. Absolutely. And I know that um, MDMA, for example, commonly known as Molly, my understanding is it was actually developed for couples therapy because mm -hmm. if you can get two people to drop in and actually talk, <clears throat> communicate, and share, then they have a shot at at relationship. Mm -hmm. If you can't yeah. get them there, they don't really have a shot. Yeah. And so <clears throat> it's an interesting observation of, you know, that the the intensity of I could lose you and you're here again. And I'm so glad you're here again. I just yeah. want to be with you. That intensity is was present in that time period. And yeah. interestingly, like she also feels it yeah. when that static is taken away and it's just yeah. you and her in the moment in yeah. your, in your hearts together. Yeah. You know, that intensity is, yeah. Yeah. yeah I think it's, it's just, a, it's a, it's a, it's inspiring to me, the possibilities of medicine yeah. being used well. I think it can really changed Absolutely. a lot for a lot of people. And, um, <clears throat> And what I really like about that is um, just the, the, I, I've had that experience as well. I've had many of the clients, many of the men that I've worked with, that I've worked with, with Jason have come to us because they just went through a breakup and they, they're just like, it's, it's enough. I have to figure this out. I lost this woman that I thought was yeah. going to be yeah. my everything or, you know, this was the woman I can feel that like, this was a good woman. This was, this was a woman I could go all the way with. It was me. I know it was me. I know she had her stuff too, but she left me and the ache and the grief and the just intensity of that is so magnificent and tremendous that it gets men can get men over the hump of like, I got to do something about this. <laughs> like I have to do something about this. I can't just keep going this way. Yeah. And Yet there are men who do who don't choose to do that. So I I think it's really brave and um, incredible, and I, I commend all the men who 
you know, work with a mentor, whether it's me or whether it's you, whoever it is, yeah. actually do choose to say, this sucks so much. I want something different for myself yeah. and, and for my partners, right? I want something different because not everyone does that. Not everyone makes that choice. Not everyone yeah. actually takes that leap. And I just, I'm so, in so much admiration of the men who do, specifically the men who do, women as well, but specifically the men and the masculine, because again, I do think there's such a, there's such a hurdle and a barrier culturally for that to happen, that it, it takes so much and it's not really supported. So it's like an extra, you know, an extra yeah. high bump to get over that, you know, it sounds like for you was totally enough with your partner. And as we start to wrap up here, I'm curious, you know, did you two, when you got back together, did you get better or other support or how did it work in terms of you reconciling? Cause obviously, yeah. you know, stuff that was up, like we got to sort some of this out because there were reasons it wasn't working. It wasn't just, she didn't just leave for no reason. Oh yeah. Yeah. We, throughout the years, even still, you know, we've worked with different therapists and coaches and, and continued. Absolutely. It's, it's an ongoing dance and journey. And I'll tell you, at times, one of our saving graces has been when, because we still run into things that are, 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 are scary and feel threatening to the relationship or that we don't understand about each other that can cause deep heartache and pain. One of the best things we can ever say is, you know what? Let's, let's stop talking about this now. Let's bring this to our therapist. Or let me talk with my coach about this and, and get some, let me, let me get some support around this and I'll, and I'll come back to you. That's one of the most helpful things we can ever fucking say because otherwise, if we just keep pounding at it with each other, we're just creating more damage. And that's not helpful, obviously, clearly. So having that third party who is who does not have an agenda other than to be of service um, – and see, that was the thing that when, when we worked with a coach at the beginning of our relationship, she had an agenda. And again, that's you know, a story for another time, but she was not a, a disinterested party. And it was someone that I'd worked with for, for many years already. And it just, it just, it just was too messy and she couldn't hold the boundaries well. So, um, but having that, that disinterested party who can help us, who's really advocating for both of us together and individually, which is what I do when I'm working with couples. I, I, you know, I don't take sides. I'm on both of their sides. And though, you know, I, I also am not attached to them staying together. So, um, having that recourse is immensely helpful. And, and I imagine Sylvie and I will be doing this for the rest of our lives. We'll be working with therapists, coaches, doing our own personal growth work, because even as we go through different developmental stages, you know, I'm a 47 years exquisitely aged man. My body's changing. New things are happening and, and, and things are quieting that were loud before and things are getting loud that were quiet before. And that can be disruptive and disorienting. And, and, and again, because I've, like many men have, have largely been left alone by my elders to figure this out for myself, that can really fuck me up. It can be really disorienting. I don't have elders to really help me make sense of all that's going on. So, you know, unfortunately, the, the therapist, coach, like in this day and age, it serves a role that I think would be served by the village, but we don't have villages anymore. So it, it really... I'm a big fan also of men's groups. You know, men should be in a men's group. We need to be gathering with other men intentionally, sharing our burdens, sharing our 
confusions, getting support, being challenged, you know, being, getting feedback around where we're not in integrity with ourselves, et cetera, et cetera. You know, we need to be seeking these out if we don't have them. I'm in, I'm in, I'm in one men's group and I lead others. So I'm in multiple men's groups. It is life-saving for me. It is relationship saving for me to be in men's groups as well. So, you know, it's, it's, it's essential and we're still in it. I mean, I, I, even just last night, you know, an old pattern emerged for me where it was so hard for me to understand something Sylvie was begging me to understand. And I just couldn't bridge it. I just couldn't. It just, it's just like it, it, it offended a, a core value of me, the understanding she was seeking. And, you know, we struggled through it for about an hour and we both have all the skills and all the tools and all the understandings, but still, you know, there, that we have these moments and, and, you know, it's every couple, no couple escapes this. Not if you're being honest with yourselves and each other. So getting support, getting new tools, um, you know, if they're listening to this podcast, fantastic. Good. It's not enough. Listen to this podcast, hire Melanie, you know, join one of my men's groups, do, do, but keep going. We're not supposed to figure this out alone. And, and winging it is not a good strategy for, uh, for a thriving relationship. Yeah. I appreciate you <clears throat> speaking to that because I think that's a pattern that I know Jason, my co-coach has gone through of just consuming information, <laughs> not really taking action, but <clears throat> yeah. just reading all the books and listening to all the things. And yeah. it does require more than that. And I, I really love what you said about ongoing support. Cause that's something that I think I would really like to normalize of just all couples need support. Everyone, everyone needs support, but couples, especially because their stuff is coming up with each other. And if they're raising children, then they're passing that on. So it's particularly important. Um, and yet I think that there's this cultural norm around like couples are just sort of doing their thing. They're fine. They're over here. They're okay. And I don't think I know a single couple for whom that's true. Yeah. Everyone needs help in some way. Um, particularly since your stuff is coming up as your partners is a lot of the time. So neither of you is to fully present and having that third person there to help you sort it out is critical. Um, and I'm curious, you know, since you are a relationship coach yourself and you are shepherding couples through this, through growth, mm -hmm. like what are some of, we're going to wrap soon. So Mm -hmm. This could be a whole other podcast, but just what are some of the patterns that you see repeatedly that are the reasons bringing couples in to see you? Yeah. How, how are you, how, you know, sort of macro level, because you're seeing a lot of different couples. Yeah. You know, there's this, there's this, there's this popular idea that couples fight over money or sex. Um, what I think really couples are fighting over is, is I call it a crisis of connection. They just don't know how to stay connected through all of the challenges that arise. I mean, sure, maybe it looks like money or it looks like sex issues or disconnects or, and, and those, you know, it's important to talk about those as well. But again, I think the biggest crisis couples are generally coming in with is they don't know how to just stay connected through whatever's arising. And I, I don't mean that in some abstract way. I mean, in the moment, they don't know how to stay partnered. Like you said, our stuff comes up and all of a sudden we're adversaries. You're the enemy. You're going to get me. 
I need to fight for whatever it is I didn't get when I was in childhood. And, you know, I'll be damned if I'm going to be bowled over now, like mom bowled me over or whatever. That's sort of the unconscious, subconscious thing. So, you know, that not knowing how, and by the way, women don't really know how to do that either. I mean, I'm talking a lot about men in their challenges around connection. Well, women are incredibly unskillful as well in terms of languaging what they need, languaging their feelings, um, distinguishing between what I'm feeling and what I think about you, you know? Uh, so obviously, you know, relationships are, uh, they're not a 50, 50 deal. They're 100, 100, both people have a hundred parents, hundred percent responsibility. And so, um, you know, that, that, that to me is the, is the, uh, cause I believe when, when couples know how to stay connected in the moment, they can get through anything, anything that comes up, we can figure it out. We can work through it. Even if, even if breaking up is the thing that we're doing, uh, we can stay connected even through that. Um, you know, so that, that's, that's the, the great underpinner, I think of all couples challenges. Now on top of that, yes, you do have things like, you know, pornography use is rampant that creates great disconnection in, in, in couples, uh, social media. Um, you know, there's this thing that we talk about in relationship work called thirds, anything that is a third to your, your duo dynamic, which could be a child, you know, a third isn't necessarily a bad thing. A third is just something that gets in the way of, of your couple, of your, of your couple bubble. We could say that, 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 that presents a threat to your relationship and children, you know, in-laws work, hobbies, friends, social media, porn, alcohol, even if someone's not addicted, even if someone doesn't identify with, as an alcoholic, just the fact that maybe they have a couple drinks a week and their partner grew up with an alcoholic stepfather, for example, or just alcoholism in the home or, and their partner has a couple drinks a week. And when they have a couple drinks, all of a sudden they sort of get a little bit loosey with their mouth or they sort of disappear, you know, at, you know, down a rabbit hole at work after whatever it is not understanding how to manage these thirds and how to, how to neutralize the, the appearance of a threat. Again, even if it's your own fucking child that can't, or a dog that happens. I remember I spent, I was married in my twenties to a, after the military to a French woman and she had two dogs and I love dogs. I'm such a dog person. I'm literally right now, Melanie have my hand on my dog right next to me. She, uh, my golden retriever. I'm such a dog person. I was so jealous of our dogs because she would give them so much more attention than she would me. It, that's a third, not knowing how to manage thirds and how to, to talk through those things. Um, also ruins relationships. Those are great. I, I maybe be interested in having you on again to talk about thirds. Cause I think mm -hmm. a lot of people listening that have been in a relationship can relate to yeah. that. And I think it's also a good example of if you're not in touch with, I'm jealous. Like I'm, yeah. I'm noticing I'm feeling jealousy oh. and I'm feeling like yeah. sensitive about this. Yeah. It's really different than saying, why do you, why are you always with the fucking dogs? Exactly. Right. Like the, <laughs> Yeah. The way we, the way totally. we relate about it is, oh, yeah. is I think what you're pointing to. And that does take a lot of vulnerability and humility, which can take a while to develop, you know, maybe outside the relationship or, or with a coach, whatever it is, but there's, yeah. there's skill within how are we talking about this 
that I think mm, is, is part exactly. of what you're, you're pointing to in terms of the connection part, right? The connection Absolutely. being the underpinning of how do we stay connected when there's tension present? How do, how do we yeah. do that? Because <laughs> no one and, showed us how to do it. No one showed us how to do it. And it does take both people. I mean, if, if even if I have the skill, which in my 20s, I did not have the skill to say, I'm really jealous of the dogs. And I met with, well, you shouldn't be. They're my dogs. You need to accept them. Well, that's not helpful. So you're, you're, you're right on. I mean, it's, it's not about the dogs. It's about how do we, how do we hold our partner's feelings? How do we hold, how do we create connection in moments where, you know, something arises that's really unfortunate, uncomfortable, inconvenient. We don't understand it. It's like, well, why do you have a problem with my dogs? I don't have a problem with my dogs. I love my dogs and I love you. You shouldn't have a problem with my dog. Like all of that how do we navigate that? And, and none of us are taught how to do that. That's a really good point. That's a really good point because that moment of saying, I'm feeling jealous of the dogs, even though I know I quote unquote shouldn't yeah. is the critical moment. Because if yeah. the person slows down and says, Oh, thank you for telling me that that makes mm -hmm. sense. I do give them a lot of attention mm -hmm. that builds trust. That one totally. moment builds trust. And so then <clears throat> both people feel like, oh, I can bring things to you that don't sound logical, but are what's on my heart. Like, yeah. And if that moment is not met, then the trust is eroded. So there are these, these, these are the moments That's that right. I think really can build a virtuous cycle or, or not. Or the spiral into crazy town. <laughs> well, and, and let's land this really quick. I think this is really important because if, if my partner if I say, if I have the skill and the presence and the awareness to just say, I'm really jealous of the dogs and my partner does not meet that with understanding, well, what's going to happen is I'm going to further resent the dogs and I'm going to want the dogs out of here, or I'm going to, which my partner is then going to feel that rejection and say, well, if you don't accept my dogs, then screw you. I'm out of here. Relationship over. Right. <clears throat> but if my partner says, wow, thank you for sharing. I had no idea that you were feeling this okay, gosh, well, we're not, you know, it's like, I'm not getting rid of the dogs, but I, I definitely want to make you feel more seen and, and, and heard and felt, and I'll, I'll touch you more. I'll spend more time with you more. Like, how, like, how can we work through this? Well, what's going to happen for me too is, you know, is, is, is I'm going to be more welcoming of the dogs. The dogs aren't going to be a threat anymore and they're going to be allowed more. And my partner is going to feel like you said, it creates a spiral. How did you say that? A virtuous spiral? Yeah, a virtuous cycle. I like that, a virtuous cycle. That's exactly right. So now we're creating a momentum in a direction of connection, of family, including the dogs. It does. It, it creates a beautiful, I like that virtuous cycle versus what I what I call is the spiral in, into crazy town. Spiral into crazy town. That yeah. Like <laughs> so yeah, it's it, and it's so simple. It's in these little, little, little moments. Yeah. Not not huge, massive gestures. That relationships are 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 made or broken, but these yeah. these countless countless tiny tiny moments. Yeah, little tiny bricks that yeah. are making yeah. making the house. Cool. So as we wrap up here, I would love to hear how people can reach you if they're interested in your podcast or yeah. just all the things that you do. Well, um, you know, I have a new book called "Choose Her Every Day or Leave Her." 
uh, highly recommended to to all of your listeners, especially men, but also women. I think it's very validating for women, and and I give, uh, but men, you know, really, uh, I think help can help men really understand their own journey uh, even more, um, their struggles with intimacy and how to overcome them. So it's choose her every day or leave her. It's it's online everywhere, uh, and also just my website, brianreeves.com. It's Brian with a Y reeves.com uh you know all my blogs and videos and social medias i mean i'm I'm on all the social medias uh so you know but brianreeves.com is uh, even my book is there different courses and things it's all there perfect Hey guys, did you know I teach a course exactly about sex? It's called Please Her in Bed, and it's based on all of my sex research asking women, what do the men who are best in bed do? I asked over a thousand women, 1,067 to be precise, and then I put together this course. Here are a few responses from men who've taken it. I almost immediately started seeing a woman shortly after the course. She is open and all over me. And we've had sex. Before the course, I hadn't had intercourse in about two years. And I found that a couple of men have said this where they've taken the course and then they've started having sex with a woman. And I think it's because their confidence levels went up because they finally felt like they actually knew what they were doing. Here's another man who was married when he started taking it. I took the course hoping to establish a closer relationship with my wife of over 20 years. Our sex life was always vanilla, but lately it had dwindled to less than once a month and not particularly satisfying for either of us. Since the course, however, our sex life has improved considerably. Now I feel way more confident about my ability to connect with my wife and make the experience satisfying for both of us. I've always loved her, but feel like I'm falling in love with her again after 25 years. If you're interested in hearing more, go to pleaseherinbed.com and the course is listed for $97, but if you're a podcast listener and you use code DEARMEN, that's all one word, DEARMEN, you can get it for $69.